With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. I'm telling you, you don't want to be looking exactly like you look today in 2024 and 2025. You have to be modern. You have to have tech. You have to have control of the customer. And you have to be a great purchase originator and be in all markets. You can't be massively distributed because no bank wants, nobody wants to own a bunch of branches. That's just a hornet's nest of stuff. So how do you do that? That's how you stay focused. So Bill, should we expect to see you buy a small, nimble mortgage bank and prepare for that crescendo? Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media, and I've got a really, really good one for you today. This is a conversation with Bill Dallas, and I've said many times this guest needs no introduction. Literally, this man needs no introduction, so I'm not even going to give it to you. Bill Dallas and I talk a lot about the current state of the mortgage banking industry, talk about the Achilles heels he sees for the industry costs to produce and retaining customer relationships. We also go into this concept that this point right now in Q2 2022 is the great reset for the mortgage banking industry. And there were two important things to take away in a great reset to succeed on the other side. I hope you enjoy this episode with Bill Dallas. I really did and can't wait to have him back as a guest again. If you enjoy this episode, please follow us on iTunes. Do this, hit the subscribe button rate us, leave a review. I appreciate it so much. And it helps us do our job better and support you housing industry professionals. Enjoy. In today's changing market, Rocket Pro TPO gives brokers the tools they need to compete and win more business. Experience Pro Performance, the industry's elite training with three pillars. Sales training gives you the skills to do more for your clients. Platform training helps you maximize Rocket technology and process. All Access combines the best of both trainings in a live session where you'll meet your team. Learn more about pro performance at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states and MLS number 3030. I think people follow people that they trust and, and have been there and done that. And it's, you know, this is a... I think that's why we've with I mean I sort of started with housing wire watched it form and you know helped them uh, as we sort of grew and it's it's been really interesting. Well I, I actually in preparation for this went back and read an interview and like a really long form article by Austin Kilgore when he worked for yeah. Housing Wire and I think it was a yeah. I think it was a 08 or early 09 published date like right around the the time of you acquiring Skyline, right? Yeah. 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 Getting, so it was funny because out of the bust of, I, I shut down own it and we sort of first Franklin in 05, in December of 05. Right. And, you know, when you own your own business, you do what you know you have to do. Right. When you, when somebody else owns your business, you sort of placate them, I guess, to some extent and let them, sort of tell you what to do. And what was interesting was all the data 
were showing us exactly what to do. And so we just did it. And so coming out of the, what I would call the great recession and all the issues of 06, 05, 06, 07, and what followed was a debrief. And so we debriefed what we thought was the original mission and then tried to pick, okay, what will happen post? And so if we're going to build a new mortgage company, what will the next generation mortgage company, what should it look like? What's funny is that everybody's still trying to build it. And we just had this massive, you know, you had a decade of confusion followed by a pandemic, which then rates drop. And this is a lot similar. This is really similar to September 11, 2001, right? Because interest rates were high. We had gone like this. And then September 11th hits and interest rates go to zero. Yep. And then we've got this phonetic mortgage market. People buying stuff, people, and look at what just happened. History is repeating itself once again. Now, the difference is you don't, you, you just don't have a housing bubble yet, right? But you're, you're, you're swimming really fast toward one. Uh, and I think all of that can give, I mean, what we should talk about is really the, what should we do? What should you do? Right. And one of the reasons why I left you know, finance of America was, you know, Patty left. I accomplished all the things that we wanted to do. Shoot. We even, we went public, right? All of those things coming out of it. I was, I actually went into it in, oh, in 2018 with this plan because the plan has to be when the other shoe falls, you have to be ready. And the other shoe in mortgage always falls always spot on. So Folks, I, I think you know the guest we have today. One of our um, one of our favorite guests on Housing Wire podcast, Mr. Bill Dallas, who is most recently the president at Finance of America Mortgage, a role that he he just left uh, a little a little over two months ago. Um, but Bill, the history in the mortgage industry is long, and I and I and I don't mean to to age you. I got <laughs> called out by another guest recently. I'm like, why'd you have to don't say worry. three decades? But Bill has been responsible for founding and managing more than a dozen mortgage and fintech companies, including Skyline Homes, Own It, New Leaf, First Franklin, um, Interthinks, Mindbox, Cloud Verga, just to name a few. Those are the ones that are that are top of my head right now. Um, but Bill, you've seen a lot of different parts of this market and a, and a lot of different dynamics. Um, so I want to get into some of those points that you were mentioning in our, in our, in our pre-show, um, especially about some of the, the, the housing market dynamics and if we are really... Um, swimming quickly mm -hmm. toward a bubble, but we should talk about that some more, but I, I want to kick off the conversation with a little to revisit a, a question and conversation that you had with housing wires, editor in chief, Sarah Wheeler last August or September. And uh, I think that was the early t months where people started talking about margin compression, in the mortgage industry. And uh, I just want to kind of kick off with mm -hmm. how are you thinking about margin compression today and the, the state of the balance sheet for, for public IMBs and, and private mm -hmm. IMBs, all the IMBs who are out there trying to survive in this Q2 2022 market. Yeah. I think everybody, well, first, thanks for, you know, inviting me back. Right. I guess I haven't, I'm, I'm a party goer that keeps, you know, you're okay to come back because you, you don't trash the house and you don't do a bunch of stupid things. You've never overstayed your welcome. No, appreciate it. You know, so I'll try to stay focused on really what the 
what the challenge is, right? So I'm going to go back a little bit and say, coming out of 08 and all the regulatory uh, effort that was put on the mortgage business, right? All the mosaic of laws and all the things that have changed, right? I think I'm not going to give a history lesson, but the overall load of that really slowed the mortgage business down and changed the cost to produce. I mean, how many loans can a loan officer do? How many loans can a processor do? How many loans can a underwriter underwrite? I mean, we were doing 220 loans a month in underwriting in 05, 06, 07. Now, maybe you could say we didn't underwrite them very well, but at the end of the day, uh, you're doing 50 or 60 today, right? And that is true with everything. So the cost to produce of a loan has gone from 2000 to 5000 to 7000 to 9500 and it's just going to go up and if you add to that true margin right so you've got less volume high cost margin compression i mean that is just a recipe for a disaster and i think what you're feeling is that people in in as this begins, this is sort of now feeling a little bit more like 2018 to mortgage people, which was a moment in time where where you you first saw volume shift. So there are some things I called it the pivot, uh, and I, maybe I should have nicknamed it the divot. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, the pivot was really this: you know, proprietary products purchase. You're going to have interest rates that are going to go way up. You're going to have volatility like you've never seen it. The opportunity is now if you're if you're well positioned, but there is a transformation going on in mortgage and you just don't feel it because you're in panic mode. Right. So my view was prepare the organization for consolidation, prepare it for purchase prepare it for proprietary products. And I have three letters that I use with every mortgage banker that I consult with or I talk with and DLM, don't lose money. And they all lose money, right? It's like, so now you have margin compression with volume going down and you always miss it. You always cut and you don't cut enough, Right. And people go and small independent mortgage banks or even a big company like Finance of America, we all struggle with laying people off or and and my comment to every leader is always, look, we love people. This isn't fun, but we have to save the boat and the franchise first. And so we have to get to a point where we're we're sustainable and that is going to be painful for everybody. And margin compression really just started, right? Because we were so fat in margin in in 2020, right? We had so many loans that we had to slow it down. We were like a we were like the Panama Canal, right? We can only let so many boats through, right? So we just kept lowering, raising, extending, doing things, right? And now you're back to what I would call really a, a decent market. It's just you're not used to you're used to four trillion thinking about three and a half to four and you're going to be at one and a half to two, which is like a massive size market. And when you're talking to guys like me who started our business, when interest rates were go from 10 to 20, five doesn't look too bad. But if you're a borrower and you have a two, 
or two and a half or three, and you want to refinance because you got tons of equity, how do you do that? And then on the other side, I'm a purchase. I just need inventory to show up, right? And it's but you got to get yourself positioned well as a mortgage company now. And then there are these transformative things. Changing how the consumer actually accesses information, changing how you want to make an, an application, all these different products and things that have to you know, sort of find itself. All of those things are beginning to happen. And then we've got really two Achilles heels in the mortgage business, the cost to produce, and we really don't retain the customer relationship. Those are my two hot buttons, right? So you have to lower your costs, and that means you've got to focus on what you do well and do it better and then reduce your costs. And some of that's technology, but very little. Most of it's the, the process that we have put in place in mortgage to handle the regulatory issues and the technology that we had to use is just terrible, right? So now, now you've got to figure out, okay, do I start over? What do I do with it? But this is the time, right? Because change only happens when you're dissatisfied, you're, you got tons of fear, and your resistance to change is so broken down that you say, all right, I got to do this now. And we're here. So you mentioned 2018 potentially being like the divot. And Q- Q418, the headlines were, were full mm. of lenders uh, of correcting their cost structure in terms of reducing headcount and looking to build more nimble, efficient businesses. But the market turned around, and that's what when happened? we got like the yeah. – yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, and so are we like a month ago, I would have said, all right, Q4 18 was brutal. Q2 2022 is going to feel pretty similar. But right now it's mm-hmm. it feels like the the wave is bigger and the market we're going into, the market we're in right now um, could be a more crushing cycle than than what the industry went through. Yeah. What Just, was interesting, Clayton, was we coming out of 18, we all sort of pinky swore with each other and said, we're not going to hire a bunch of people. And that's what everybody said to themselves. And then we didn't. And 19 sort of came along and we held ground and we outsourced and we did all these things to try to, you know, improve it. Then 2020 hit and we still held on to the pinky swear for about two months. And then we had to start hiring people. And then all through 2020, all through 2021, what did we do? Hired like drunken sailors. Yep. And now we're back to, oh my gosh. And we just couldn't, there was so much business that we just couldn't stick to what we know we should have done, which is try to outsource as much as you can, try to lower your, because you need temporary help. You don't need permanent help, mm-hmm. right? And I think the the writing was pretty clear. If you read the job descriptions for the roles that were hired in 2020 and 2021, these were refi roles. And yeah, anyone who has seen this cycle, like even a glimpse of the cycle, even if you watch the movie Margin Call, you should have understood <laughs> understand that these roles don't don't stick around forever. But that that kind of seems to be something that that everybody forgets. So if you go back to how simple this business was, so I'm going to say you have to go back to the simplicity of how you started. You have a borrower who comes directly to the company via some channel, right? But that borrower has to get to that channel and that loan has to be handled by one person, not 
LOA, input person, disclosure desk, appraisal desk, LOA, processor, going to an underwriter, going back to a pre-underwriter, going back to the auditor. And I mean, we've added like 20 people to the sausage making and it's not getting any better. It's still sausage and it's really slow and it's costly. So, I mean, these are the, we've seen like the down cycles post Dodd-Frank. We've seen the up cycles post Dodd-Frank, um, all both sides of the cycle less efficient than we were pre Dodd-Frank technology has been the promise of a more elastic, um, business model and ecosystem that can withstand ebbs and flows and purchase volume and, and big refi waves. Is that promise still there? Do we still see technology as potentially being a, a solve for these massive swings and in industry headcount every time we go through a rate movement? I think, yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is to some extent, but not in maybe the way that you're positioning it. I would say that there's no real, I mean, look, the process, the softwares that we have that the underlying software that everybody uses is a processing software that, I mean, even listen to what I just said, it's a processing software. And that software has a baseline that then has hundreds of integrations. And so every integration has to fit into this little road that we're building to try to close a loan. So whether it's a disclosure, a disclosure desk, it's optimal blue for pricing or something that you do for disclosures or data. Now you've got to go to the appraisal and the credit side. There's another integration. You've got title mm-hmm. information you have to get. All of that stuff should be easily accessible. And so we, and then we don't have a data warehouse that we have underneath, right? We don't, we, so we store, store the data in the LOS, which makes it even harder than to, to talk to the customer later. So now we've got two problems. So I think technology can help you solve better integrations. I mean, you can have a platform that's easy to integrate to and you could try to make that work. But if you go into any mortgage company, all you see are checklists. I mean, we could do all of this with a lot of people with great technology and we'd still screw up the documents and the loan and the data isn't right. So it's like, all right, I think you have to start not pristine, but you have to rethink the way you gather data and the way that data goes into it. And the application intake is where I would start, right? With the, whether you're the LO or whoever's putting the information in, application intake is, is critical. And then getting the data from data sources rather than revalidating the data that I actually got in a PDF from the customer mm-hmm. and then stuffed it into the into the LOS is the problem. So technology can solve it, but you as the leader of an organization and your team, you have to build a sustainable process that's simple. And we complicate it with, I mean, this should be really simple, right? We have one product, 30 year fixed rate loan. (laughs) The same one across the industry. But we have 500 (laughs) different investors with different overlays and all this bullshit that we that we add to this process. So as a and then I'm going to say we take a even that process delivery to the agency shouldn't be this hard, but it is. And then if you add to it bond loans, let's say for example, and there's 
2,500 different bond programs in America. And you add a bond. Bond is a bond loan is basically a forgivable, some form of forgivable second for low to moderate income or somebody that fits into a category, depending on the city, county, locale, all over the place. Mm -hmm. Right. You have hundreds of those. So now you've taken it. You, you now put this thing on this OK process and now you pull it off the conveyor belt totally to go after another approval. And then it's just now I got to redisclose it. I've got all these other issues. It just is. It is. And, and really, when you do purchase more purchase, it gets more complicated. Right. Because you have more bond loans because these are. Purchases, higher LTV purchases. And so I think technology can help you solve it, but you have to build a process that has less products and you have to solve for that because that's the complication that, that destroys the, the what do you call it, the, the hope of technology coming to rescue you. So 2020, 2021, we're just so damn busy. I don't think many mortgage lenders had the chance to really start pristine and think about their tech stack and how they get it to, to next yeah. generation. And I, I know there's actually a lot of innovation that happened over the the last several years on those, those software products that work at um, from processing stage to automated income and asset verification mm -hmm. and integrations with the, the GSEs to, to make this process cleaner and faster. But Doing that in the middle of a refi boom doesn't necessarily feel like the highest priority. And forbearance. And, and forbearance, forbearance yep. was sort of, not only did you have the refi boom, you had a refi boom except for these people. Yep. You yeah, know, so, who are, and they're all over the place. Dis distractions, but hey, at least refi yeah. was a profitable distraction. So I guess yeah. there was some, some hope coming out of 2021 that mortgage banks flush with cash, a little more time on their hands, might use 2022 to work on that pristine tech stack. Are you seeing that like this, this market we're going into right now will, will allow for that, that focus on innovation or do you, do you, do you think that we get pulled into the next distraction and, and don't see this wave of, of tech adoption that the industry was looking for? Well, I think, I think, you know, great lenders will figure that out, you know, and stay focused on the mission. I think most people are going to get pulled into purchase and proprietary products that are much more complicated to underwrite and to sell. And that's going to take them down a different path. And so if you can solve for that product-wise, where you can actually have a product that resembles the agency, right, and still gives you access, because you're going to expand the box in order to, I mean, housing's unaffordable, house prices have gone up. People's wage. Now you're back to the normal mortgage business conversation, which is the uh oh, you know, how do we get people on with and, and make sure the great thing about the regulations and everything else that we've put in place, it, it, everything's designed to protect the consumer. So the consumer's well protected today, right? So and I, and I don't see us creating a massive housing bubble because we have put a bunch of people into houses that we shouldn't. We're going to that path right now. I mean, that's where you're going to move next is, okay, house prices up, you know, wages stay here. Now, now sort of what? So I think your, your intuition is correct. And I think the distraction is really that a lot of these folks are trying to get to purchase 
So if you're in consumer direct, it's all refi, right? And so mm-hmm. that business is in trauma. Then Costco pulls out, some other lead sources pull out. It's like, oh my God, where do I get my leads? Okay, this whole business is about leads, right? And the loan office, either you have the leads as a company and you can provide customers, which is retaining servicing or owning the customer relation or whatever you do, or you have to go buy it or you have to go find it. So mortgage bankers buy it through brokers, mortgage bankers buy it through builders, mortgage bankers try to hire loan officers who actually then go find it. And But it's all about lead and owning a relationship. And that's what people don't understand when they run a mortgage business. Well, so and it also sounds like purchase leads have shot through the roof from a pricing perspective. I had a lender telling me recently that their their fifty dollar leads are now three hundred dollars, and at a, at a time when when costs are out of control already. Yeah, and you you're you watch. I mean, we got great technology around. We got geofencing. We got all this stuff where we know. I mean, I can see Clayton walking from house to house. Big deal, right? If he's if there's twenty offers on this this house and Clayton's on the back. I mean, every realtor I talk to has. 20 buyers for every house still. So I think owning the customer relationship is where you have to start building for the future. And that we don't do very well either. Right. We, and because we all, I mean, the great thing, actually the fun thing about 2020 and 2021 was that a lot of us were able to build servicing and, and keep, we were making enough money that we could actually retain the servicing as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that made it simpler to then retain the customer relationship, but the normal originate and dump, which is how the in- industry works now, especially when your costs are high. So you are not going to retain ser- servicing. So the companies that can figure out how can I retain the customer relationship and retain the servicing and lower my costs can win. Well, it's also how can I afford to retain the servicing? Because uh, like it was a great idea in 2021 and 2020 and 2021. And then we saw MSR values in Q1 when rates started shooting up and everybody was retaining servicing shoot through the roof. And that was way too juicy for anybody to to resist. And now Q2, the MSR values are still up. The margins in TPO and wholesale and correspondent, I mean, the margins in correspondent were 50, 60 basis points. The margins in TPO were 150. The normal margins in in correspondent are seven. The normal margin, I mean, the normal margin in TPO is 50, right? So how do you, I mean, if you loaded that boat and it's, it's hard to unload it. So I think that's why you see p- companies selling course. I mean, so what are the first things out? Correspondent, because it takes scale. And really, you got to be really good. You got to be a Penny Mac or somebody like that to be able to do that well. And then Consumer Direct, those two things go first into the barrel. And why is that? I mean, think about it. Neither one of them, they're all, they're both float valves and neither one of them actually do anything, right? They, both of them don't own the customer relationship. One buys leads, the other buys loans from people who go get loans. So those businesses go first. Then TPO becomes a problem because the margin compression in that business happens really fast. 
And then we had sort of a pricing war between three parties that, you know, started the, made it go faster. And then retail, distributed retail. And so you then see people try to, okay, I'm, I'm a correspondent. I'm over here and I want to get in that business. So now I'm going to pay signing bonuses. I'm going to go steal your people. And, and, and it's just, that is a bad wheel, flywheel for you to be on if you're in the mortgage business. So let's talk about that from the originator point of view. So I, I'm, I'm hearing different, different narratives on, on where originators flock to in, in this market as they search for the best pricing, the best process, the best tech to, to serve their, their realtor partners and, and purchase clients. And I, I hear some of that's going to some folks are flocking to core and mini cores. Other folks flocking to TPO mm-hmm. re- retail lenders, bonusing each other out of the way and, 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 and paying for, for top origination talent. What, what are you uh, seeing in this market right now? I think it's a movie that they made a movie. I mean, I'm thinking it's like Ozark meets Breaking Bad. Oh God, that right? does not it's, end well. <laughs> yeah. Though, neither of those, the birds, they sort of live, I guess, but the bird family, but on the other side, I think what you're seeing really is that, that conversion, but to, I mean, look, LOs are not really productive. They were productive in 2020 and 2021. So the key is there's probably 150,000 LOs in the United States. Is, is that is that supposed to mean 150,000 productive LOs? <laughs> no. And your job is is how do I retain? Because out of out of whatever number you mm-hmm. have, do you have how many are been in the business long enough to have a database, to have yep. a set of leads that they that they can actually sustain themselves. So they were doing 20, they were doing they were doing 15, but if the average loan officer, the average loan officer in 2018 was doing less than than probably two, three That's loans my, a month. Uh, three was gonna be my guess. And you <laughs> yeah. And you can't build a business on those people and you're regressing back to that number today. So we see you have to really uh, – I was talking to Mike Farr, who uh, runs the retail platform for Finance of America last night. We were we were talking a little bit about where are we and what are you seeing. And he just – I mean, it, it's a he, – he basically just says, dude, you know, this is going to be a great reset, right? I'm eliminating – we can't have regionals and branch managers, and we can't have all these bips on bips on bips on bips. Right, you just can't. Yep. You've got to go pristinely from LOs. Do you need a branch office and do you need a location? Probably not. You can work from anywhere. So why are we investing in branches? Right. Nobody goes into the branches, right? Except the auditors. And one of the issues regulatory wise is you've got to, you know, the way the world was set up with LOs is you've got to be tethered to a branch. You got to be within 50 miles of a branch. Well, that law has got to change, right? Because now we could be anywhere and leaders and entrepreneurs need to kick the business back into gear. And we need to kick the butts of people back into gear. And we need a next generation of really solid originators who will develop relationships. And so I always called it the trusted advisor network. And I focused all of my loan officers on making sure that they had all their relationships are solid, right? And you should be spending time today trafficking in 
CPAs, accountants, financial planners, insurance agents, realtors, builders, uh, you know, anybody that has a customer that needs assistance. And then you need to own your database. I wish I would have kept every person. I mean, I've got probably a five or 6,000 person database, but if you're a great originator, you, you have a very tight uh, group of loans that you can, and from that, you need to expand that piece. And then there's this whole technology and this movement. I mean, DEI, ESG, and what I'm going to call the transformation that's going on for building sustainable home ownership for people, but getting to the underserved markets is huge. Right. So how do you do that and not create bad loans? Right. Go too deep. And then all of that is is in this tempest of I need new. I need loan officers who will really focus on that. And I'm telling you, one thing interesting, Clayton, was that people had not gone back to work in two years. They've been in their jammies, you know, doing a Zoom call for a long time. So you now have to go back to meeting people and you can meet them, whether it's Zoom consult or whether you're, but you have to now start calling, meeting and, and expanding that the, the width of your referral base for you to be successful. I saw a, a industry friend post on Facebook yesterday um, that he sponsored his first open house in over two years. And he had a, a picture of him sitting in a suit on the couch. And I was like, is this Mars? This feels like a different universe where an originator would actually be sitting at an open house all day long with one of their realtor partners. But I, I guess that's where we are. Well, and you, you think that we've innovated something. What's changed? Yep. Well, the only thing that's changed really is this massive desire to, you know, pay cash for a house, right? And all of that was driven by temporary things, right? Because the permanent side of that has always been around. And now we're going to take a, a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. One of the biggest challenges in today's market is the competition for housing due to tight inventory. This is Stephen Winokur from Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions with today's non-QM Minute. Quite often, sellers are receiving multiple bids on their property. Due to this, many buyers are losing out to cash offers because they feel safer. Well, what if I told you a buyer can use cash and then recoup most of it within six months? It's called delayed financing. A borrower pays cash for the property and then recoups that cash by getting a mortgage within six months of purchase. This is then treated like a purchase, not a cash out refinance. It's a win-win-win. Realtors get the sale, borrowers get the house, and the loan officer gets the commission. Schedule time with your clients to explain how delayed financing benefits everyone in today's market. And that's today's non-QM Minute. So... You mentioned earlier your two big Achilles heels in mortgage lending, cost to produce and the ability to re retain customer relationships. And uh, the conversation's kind of evolved to 
what what almost feels like the last two years were the great acceleration. And right now we might be going into the the great reset of, of mortgage lending. And, um, mm-hmm. and the, for the reset yep. to be successful, lenders of, of all channels need to figure out a more cost efficient origination model in terms of management structure and um, the right tech stack. So as we think about, all right, here we are like line in the sand, Q2 2022 lenders are faced with this need to be more efficient and reduce headcount. And right now that um, kind of in, in the market is perceived as weakness when you, when you lay off a couple thousand people, but uh, the reality might be that's a, um, it's a, mm-hmm. a signal of strength into, uh, into resetting to be the lender they need to be right. Well, the Bolsheviks, you know, are revolting, right? And they suddenly, the workers, the proletariat, the worker, you know, their rights have gone in theory, right, through the roof. And so are their salaries. So if you're better mortgage and you don't, and you lay off people and you don't do it well, you go to, you, know, you basically get canned in five seconds yep. and everybody hits you. So there's a little bit of that and the fear of, you know, how do you do that well? Well, look, I've been doing it for 40 years. And the way you do it is you try not to overgrow. When you're a private company, you try not to overgrow so you don't have to do it. And, you know, Matt, Ashiba, Matt basically says, I'm never laying a person off. Great. Did you did you hear his earnings call <laughs> earlier or like uh, in April or actually, no, May? Sorry. I mean, yeah, he yes. um, uh, yeah, he uh, he he went nose to nose with one of his anal- one of the equity analysts. Well, and one of the cool things about, so what is, if we looked at, at Matt's business or we look at that business, what is the common thread that's in that business? One, he doesn't have the burdened cost of the origination of the loan. The broker has that, right? So he solved that problem. He doesn't even have to talk, all that shit I just talked about, he doesn't even have to worry about it. The broker's got that. Yeah. Now, he's in one business. He's not in three business models. He's got one. And he is invested in technology, right, in order to dominate that space. And that's that's why he can win, because he doesn't have a lot of people to lay off. And if he did, the people that he has, he doesn't have high cost people either. He doesn't hire account execs. Outside account execs, everybody's inside, everybody's in in their in their pen, one location. Think about this model, yep. right? He's basically a call center for brokers. That's all he is. And it's great because he has figured it out. He is on one side, quickens on the other, right? Because they figured it out. And they're almost not too big to fail, but they're big and they've got a bunch of servicing and they accumulate. Quicken accumulates customers in two ways. One, they get it in TPO, and they are going down Matt's model more because they're laying off account execs, yep. and they are moving more to a more, what I would say, a, a more inside AE model in order to offer agency product. And I think you're going to have to, to some extent, because it's too expensive and the margin compression is too tight for an agency loan going forward. And then you've got, you know, the other big, great, these are all great companies, by the way, HomePoint. HomePoint gets out of retail. Then they get out of correspondent. What are they doing? They're going down the same thing. 
And the common denominator in those three companies is their cost to produce is a lot less than everybody else's. And the rest of us are over here in, you know, multi-channels, lots of different ways that we do it. And what what I love about those companies is if you took Jim Collins's and you know, I've got the, you know, three circles, right? And you took, what am I passionate about? What can I be best in the world at? And what drives my financial model? Those three circles, and you circled that and put in the middle, that's my vision. Those three companies do that the absolute best, you know, in the space. And then there's retail, distributed retail. Okay. That is, you know, you've got a wide swath of how you accumulate leads from call center type companies to consumer direct companies. And and so when you look at it, I think 2022 is, I mean, the common thread here is, and I don't pick these companies out for any reason other than to say they focus on what they are really good at. And that is what you're going to have to do in 2022 is you're going to have to go back to what you were really good at and everything else is ancillary. Yeah, that that um, Jim Collins, good to great playbook. So we have these three models that are that are efficient. Wall Street stock markets, not necessarily giving them credit for that. They're not. Do, kind. do you think they are not kind? You think that's a, a, a market misunderstanding that there there is? a? Yeah. I think they know. I mean, look, uh, now you've got the, everybody else following. Right. So you're you're in the big correction. Mortgage people were just first. Yep. Why? Because real estate. When interest rates go up, you know, the stock market, the bond market, everybody wants to trash mortgage people first. It's interesting, though, that builders are being less hit than anybody else. And they're in the middle of housing. Why is that? Because we don't have any. Yeah. Price, pricing power. And, and And they also like. They're coming out of this they looking, the lead. they're looking super clean too. They're like, oh, we're going to play conservative and bring inventory to market yeah. when the, when, when we're ready and use our, like, I mean, it's and they're uh, making bank. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you build a project and you basically tell buyers, it's almost like you're looking over there in the cattle call and you just raise it up a little bit and three guys come in and then you say, okay, yep. how much will you overbid for this house? I mean, it's a great time to be a builder. Because, but they, uh, the one thing I'm trying to say is you have to focus or you have to control the lead. And they do control the lead in housing, right? Because they build the new housing and they're so far behind. I think there's opportunities in manufactured housing. There's opportunities mm-hmm. because if you're going to have to build affordable housing, then you're going to have to go to other locations where there is water. And you can build, right? That's it. You only need water. So if you have water, you can actually build. And you see that everywhere where we're just expanding. I mean, if you drive, I'm in Vegas now. If you drive to Colorado or you drive to Utah, all there is is land with nothing on it. And, and, and water, okay. like, and water can can be created to an extent. I mean, look at look at Texas. It like can. it hasn't. You, we've, all you have to do is dig a well. Yep. Right. I mean, and but I think. That part of it is really where I think more and more folks are going to focus on how do I, how can I control the 
lead relationship or the relationship. And so where does that, I'll go technology with you for a second, a bit further. So what's cool in mortgage suddenly, which are mobile apps and things that I'll talk about. I mean, you, you see them in finance, you see acorns, you see fin habits, you see, but now you're seeing these financial fitness apps, right? And I think that's the movement. The movement of the future is how do I stay connected how do I look at a customer? It's because mortgage people have got it all wrong, right? And we always have because of the way we're set up and the way we're calm. We basically have a transaction and we only get paid on the transaction and we get paid all of our money right now on the transaction. And we talk a lot about relationship and we do nothing about relationship. I mean, we try, we but we sell the servicing, we piss them off. If they have a forbearance, we go, oh, we don't know. I mean, and as you move, I think the the value, the lifetime value of a customer is going to be the conversation of the future. And today and yesterday and in my whole career in mortgage, it's all been about what have you closed for me now, today, right? So I think that's got to, that that is changing the way the consumer accesses information, who they trust, who will they trust in the future, what are the things that that are important to a customer, and you've got probably the the next interesting thing that's going to happen is that we've got so much equity in houses, we got to keep the consumer from blowing it. Yeah. And I think there's like, there's technology happening there. So you watch like companies like, like Homebot and um, Brian Views, mm-hmm. fin, Finlocker, like they're, they're building Locker. that, they're building that like 365 day, like connection with the consumer. Um, and they're, and they're doing it as independent companies. What's wrong is, is what's wrong is compensation. Yeah. So Dodd-Frank and all of that has forced a, a level of Everybody has to be paid for the service that they offer, and you can't give any referrals or anything off of either side. I get it. I get why we did it. I get, but it's, I have to pay my loan officer for the, be, people do exactly what you pay them to do. No more, no less, right? So if I paid you on the annuity of the loan or to stay connected to the customer, so I am, so there's two things that I'm working on today. Right with with a couple companies, and one is making sure you don't lose money and, and drive that cost down and be efficient mm-hmm. in that process, so you really can sustain yourself. And that's the interesting thing right? about that's that's first. Okay. The second is is really owning that customer because where mortgage bankers miss it is that they sell the customer, so they have. And all these companies want to be valuable. They want to sell themselves. They And if you have no servicing, what assets do you have on your balance sheet? What, what do you own? Nothing. And then you say to somebody, well, I did $4 billion last year. And I did, uh, so what? So, but if you could say, I have 300,000 customers that are all signed up. I have agreements. I have signed agreements with these customers to provide them lifetime counseling. I'm a counselor. And the thing that's wrong in mortgage, and I've always said this, is if you want to be elevated, you I mean, you've got car salesmen, real estate people, and mortgage people. They're all commission-based, basically. I mean, even though we have to pay them some salary or whatever we have to do. 
but it's kill it, eat it, and they're at the lower end of the respect curve. On the other side, you got financial planners, accountants, CPAs, architects, you know, all these people on this side, lawyers. What's the common thread there? They all have an engagement letter. They all have, they, they all engage the customer yep. for the service. And they all have an advisory role, right? So my view is that when you close a loan, you have to open a relationship and that has to be contractual with the customer. And that takes regulatory change. So as much as lenders want to say, like, these are our mortgage advisors and start to like position people in that direction, it, it takes regulatory change. You can't be a debt. I mean, yep. if you talk to any lawyer in our space, you can't be a debt provider. Mm -hmm. You can't be a financial advisor. So I think first determine what you can be. You could be a home advisor or a home equity advisor, right? And so what can you do? And so I think what Finlocker has and what when you're giving a person a mobile app and you're giving them a way to stay, what, what, what mortgage companies have to do is they have to take these customers that when they sell the servicing, they still keep the customer. Mm -hmm. And there are many ways to do that. And you just have to stay focused on it. Cause if you ever want to sell your mortgage company, the only asset you're going to have is that you have 300,000 customers in the pen. And a bank would go, whoa, I like that. Well, how do you have them? Well, today, they're, the loan officers have them all. And they might leave if we sell okay. the business. <laughs> well, they will leave. The moment you sell the business, and you know that that's a problem because nobody even wants to announce that they're for sale. Because once you announce you're yep. for sale, boom. Boom. So, so let's talk about M&A for a second. So if I understand the history, right, you acquired first Franklin was that, and that was 2009. No, I started first Franklin from my garage in, uh, in, in 2000, in 2000, 1980. I apologize. Skyline, no. you acquired Skyline, yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. So that, and you're, you're right on the, you're, well, I guess, early years of what the, the GFC ultimately was, but kind of right on the back end of the, the, the boom of the, the mortgage crisis, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So. What, what lessons can you take from that experience and apply to, to operators in today's environment who, who might be out looking for a platform deal like you found yeah. in Skyline or, or uh, an add-on for scale for existing yeah. business? Yeah, I think there's – I'm going to use a, a bad joke to start it, uh, which <laughs> might – you know, I think you, you want to own a very I'm gonna, – I'm going to say a very – Small bank. How do you own a very small bank? You buy a big bank and wait, right? <laughs> you just you just wait for it. And I think what you have to do is it's. E I would go this route, right? If you are if you are not losing money and you are nimble, you can win right now, right? You can really because you can contort and move in the ways that the market's going to require you to go, and you can do it just like this. If you are big, you have to move the carrier. You have to make all these things. It just, it, it is met. It's a mess. And so you end up just shrinking in order to survive. And then you don't really know what your niche is and what you're good at. So I think knowing what you're good at and what you're passionate about and being nimble and small enough and not losing money, that group has the O in the pivot. They have massive opportunity today. 
because it's all messed up. Everybody else is going down the escalator in some facet, and they're trying to figure out how they 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 can get on the up escalator. So they'll go out and maybe they'll, like you said, maybe they'll acquire it. You know, I'm not in this, so I'm going to go acquire retail. You see a lot of people doing that. How do you avoid buying somebody else's sinking ship? If, if you are, if you have the O in your column right now and you're nimble and you're efficient and you got something good going for you in your current market, like how do you avoid buying somebody else's kind of distributed margin suck? It is, look, I've been, I've probably done 40 transactions of M&A in this space. Uh, You have to really be good at it because, and, and you're, and you're in the normal process of a diligence and looking at a company and going through it, it, it really doesn't work, right? You have to know exactly what you want. And then you have to be laser focused on will the team that survives stay and are they and will they do what what we want them to do? And then will our bureaucracy kill it or not? I mean, I only have one letter or two letters on my I'm looking at them right now in my office that I put up on the wall. And they both are letters of the bank letting me go. And those are after I sold First Frank. I mean, I, I bought First Franklin back three times, but I have letters from these folks who bought it, who didn't know what they bought. The market shifted. They then went, "Holy shit, what do we do?" And so I bought it back for nothing. Right? Why? And I think the interesting part of it is that M and A activity. They always look at the P and L as a profit and loss statement and EBITDA and they're going through all of that. I don't look at it that way. I look at P&L as people in leadership. And then I look at, will these people be able to create EBITDA in the market that I'm going into? And if it's confusing at all, and you've got to merge it in with something else, it's not worth the headache, right? Because you're better off getting focused on what you're doing because you, you lose money in dollars and you make money in pennies, right? So production is worth a penny. Reduction of a dollar of cost is worth a dollar, right? So people don't get it. We're going to produce our, all mortgage people want to produce their way out of whatever they talk about, right? And you just can't. It's got to be a, it's got to be a combination. So if you're looking for M&A, the first thing I would say is, you know, when you, is you've got three channels, you're in a channel, oh, slap yourself around and say, is this consistent with what I'm good at? And how will this advance what I'm trying to do? Or will it be a distraction? Because when I work with leaders in mortgage companies, I basically say, get back to what you're really good at, your knitting, and stay focused on it. And everything else is stop doing it. How receptive are leaders to that like shrink to grow messaging right now? Are, are, they, are they hearing you it? You know what's interesting is the ones that have been in mortgage for a couple decades understand it. They just don't know how to do it. And then the question coming out of it, because if you really, where my expertise really is, is doing that and forcing you down, this is what you really got to do. And the second is once you're small, 
I mean, my other best joke is if you want to be big, buy something small and grow it, right? There's two escalators. So fine. And so now you've got to really think, okay, if I'm going to go into 2023, 2024, 2025 and beyond, what's that going to look like? And when we bought Skyline and when I've done this with any of my businesses, it's always, we have a vision. It's well thought out of what we think that is going to be. And we skate to that, not to the collision that's happening at the current puck, right? And Gretzky was right, right? He was my neighbor at Sherwood for a long time. You can't skate. You got to skate to where the puck's going to be, not to where it is. because And where it is right now, the puck is in a massive collision with cost in mortgage. And the market, the market hates public mortgage things, and, you know, right? They always have. And so uh, banks, you know, they, they don't trust banks, the public market. So now you've got all of this little fintech stuff that's happening on the inside, consumer-centric things, but they don't make money, most of them, but it is the... It is the future. So when you're looking at your mortgage business, what I'm doing is working with companies that, A, have a focus on they don't want to lose money, and B, they want to know, okay, if I have to contort and move my business, what what do I have to do? Because in 20, what, what I'm telling them is, look, in 2023, 2024, 2025, what's going to happen? Interest rates are going to crescendo. You're going to go in a recession and you're going to go, interest rates are going to come down. You want to be ready when interest rates are coming down to be the asset of envy of every bank and originator and person in this planet. And it doesn't matter what your size is. You can do it. And the smaller you are with the less bull crap you have to deal with, the more the opportunity is, but I'm telling you, you don't want to be looking exactly like you look today in 2024 and 2025. You have to present it in a different way to be successful. You have to be modern. You have to have tech. You have to have control of the customer, right? And you have to be a great purchase originator and, and be in all markets. You can't be massively distributed. Because no bank wants, nobody wants to own a bunch of branches, right? Who wants a, that's just a hornet's nest of stuff to manage. So how do you do that? That's how you stay focused. So, so Bill, can we, uh, can, should we expect to see you buy a small nimble mortgage bank and prepare for that? I am not getting, I'm not going to get back in the mortgage. I just, I've done that so many times that, right. With my own businesses. And But what I am committed to doing is helping leaders do that, because I think that that's sort of where I am in my life today. You know, I, I don't want to. Why would I want to go back? I mean, I've, I've basically traversed 40 years <laughs> of complex business, and I think I'm really good at, you know, consulting with uh, really with helping leaders think through what they what this is going to look like in three or four years, right? And how 
Now I've got my business here. What are the, and there are a couple innovations that I think are really very simple that you could, that you can do that don't cost a lot of money and don't cost a lot of time, but you've got to, you got to bring that together. And I do think the other piece is I think mortgage brokers, because they have such a low cost to produce, Mm -hmm. they sort of survive every cycle. The good ones. And everybody's been selling them for dead for, you know, and so I actually think that side of the out, if you think of it in a different way, instead of insourcing all the costs that we just talked about, if you can outsource all that cost, you solve the problem without technology. Right now, you just have to get loans. Well, is that pricing? You know, how do I, what could be, but my, my source of that is I think there's a little bit of product here because I think the consumer wants a different product and they should get a different one. And then on the other side, I think you have to retain this customer. And, and part of that's technology and part of it is fitness and sustainability, right? As we, as we sort of roll forward, but no, I'm not going to rush. I don't want to own a mortgage company or compete with finance of America or be, you know, it's like, I want to help them. I want to help the big help themselves and help the small take over. Right. If they can, cause they can, they can actually win right now. I like it. I like it, Bill. Thank you so much for joining me. I've heard the quote, uh, skate to where the puck is going many times, but you're the first person to ever share that who heard it firsthand from their neighbor, Wayne Gretzky. From my neighbor, you know, and I'll stay, if you got a second, you know, Wayne said one thing that was really cool and our kids sort of, you know, we're not, cl- you know, we're not like bosom buddies or anything, but we've known each other and his kids went to my uh, high school, Oaks Christian as well. So we had a bunch of time to spend with him. And one of the greatest things that he said adding to this quote, because he said, people have all talked about it, which is true. I mean, I'm little, I don't, I'm not fast, I'm slight, and I, I don't get crushed. I'm just really good at it. And he said, the one thing I learned, and this is strategy 101, is if I'm behind the goalie, his back is to me. And that is the most offensive position I could be in. In hockey. And if you see how he's reinvented that, I mean, he was always skating behind there to get the puck and then he could do whatever he wanted. Now you've got people who could actually hold the puck and, you know, flip it in, you know, the back way. But he said, and so my, my message to mortgage bankers is there is a way to get behind the, the goalie. And that is your strategy going forward. Is so, And Wayne was really passionate about not only do you skate to where you want to be, but there are some real strategic ways to be able to do your sport or do what you do better. And people, and it doesn't cost you anything. You have to do anything. You just have to rethink sort of what you're, the way you're approaching what you're doing. And I think that's what mortgage people have to do. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.